Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. With my co-host, Quinnell, returning, she thinks the proper place to put your wet swimsuit to dry is on the floor in the exact spot where you took it off. Welcome, Quinnell. I didn't say I think that is the proper place. <laughs> <laughs> it's exemplified by the fact that everybody does it. I know. I introduced too much uncertainty. It is the proper place to put your swimsuit. How are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you? Doing quite well. We missed you last week, but I hope your 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 trip is going well and things. Yes, I'm enjoying my little mini quarantine vacation. Yeah, that's what we're gonna call it now. Speaking <laughs> speaking of quarantine vacations, if you were planning on making a trip to the Oscars, you might have to cancel it because it's probably gonna get postponed. Um, I know they're not until February, but according to Variety, there are sources who say that they're probably going to postpone it um, just because it's way too unclear if it will even be at all safe to host it. And honestly, I say good. Parasite won. It will never get better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a little disappointing, but it's expected. They probably should. I don't know when it's going to be safe again to host Oscars, though. Yeah. I thought they were going to try and do something digitally, um, but who knows? This, it honestly, jokes aside, the, the seriousness of it is not the celebrities and Hollywood folks that like sort of helicopter in. It's all of the people who would be working the event and mm-hmm. the staff and everyone who would be at risk. And that's, that's where it needs to be like, yeah, you can't put that many people at risk because it's it's probably thousands of people all surrounding the event, making sure it runs. And that just is it's sad, but I don't know. We'll we'll still do something later in the year. We'll we'll do a substitute Oscars podcast in some way. <laughs> Find some other award show that might still be doing something. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about the Razzies. We'll, we'll do a Razzie <laughs> episode. Um but on today's podcast, before we get to some of the, the other stuff, Quinnell has been watching a lot of a specific show that I have not seen, but she wants to talk about it. What What is that show you've been watching that recently you came out? You haven't no. seen Dead to Me? I watched the first episode with you, and then I think I never watched it. What is happening here? I thought well, we were talking about Dead to Me. You haven't seen it. Oh, I'll tell you why. Every- I'll tell you why. There's so many shows, and I want to, but then I also saw something on Twitter where it was discussing, and you can tell me whether this is wrong or right, discussing shows that with their second season tarnished their legacy and undid some of the good they'd had from the first season, and this person referenced Dead to Me, and it was a very controversial opinion. What did they say? They said they thought it wasn't as good. They listed it up there with um, True Detective Season 2 as being uh, a pretty steep decline. Um, And then the show Heroes was thrown around, which was way old show, but really took a dive in the second season after a really solid first season. So what that's why i haven't committed because i feel like i'm gonna be let down but you can you can convince me you can change my mind convince you though because you usually don't like things that i love (laughs) i liked the first episode i did um i thought it was really interesting i might even have watched a couple more after that because i got some information about the other characters and some of the revelations about 
the dishonesty they were doing. But what did what did you think of the the most recent season, and and why should people give it a chance? Okay, well, I think people should give it a chance because it's okay. It's not about really the same thing as the first season, and you know I'm about to dish some spoilers here, so I'm okay. sorry, Chase. That's okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert for anybody listening. Yeah. So basically the plot of the first season is that Judy befriends Jen. She basically starts going to this um, support group for people who have lost someone, you know, to death. Um, And befriends Jen and wants to start spending time with her and spending time with her kids and just really becomes a really wholesome part of their lives. Judy is, she's Snow White. She's everything good, like the entire two seasons i'm just like would everybody just shut up and be nice to judy (laughs) just do it because she's wonderful and jen is not wonderful she has anger issues she's got a lot of problems but most importantly her husband just died um in a hit and run car accident i remember that part because who killed him in the hit and run yep yep and it's judy judy killed him um but not by herself she also had her boyfriend in the car who basically bullied her into leaving him on the side of the road right so she's not the the person that wanted to hit and run she did the hit but it was an accident the boyfriend convinced her to make it a a real big deal exactly and so the entire first season is about judy just trying to make amends and trying to help this woman through her life after she's killed her husband and Jen discovering that she kind of needs somebody, but she's not the kind of person who will admit to needing somebody, and she doesn't like most people. (laughs) She has this great fear that nobody likes her, but really she doesn't like other people either. Um, At the end of season one, Jen kills Judy's boyfriend. Oh my god, really? (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens. Um, How did did they kill him? Okay, so... uh, He's involved in a big money laundering scam with the Greek mafia. (laughs) Steve Wood. Um, And basically, Judy decides that she wants to tie up all of her loose ends because she's going to kill herself. So she gives the police all of the information, all of the paperwork that they have stored in a storage unit about Steve's money laundering. All of his accounts get get frozen. He is really, really unhappy with Judy. He's kind of an abusive boyfriend, but very psychologically, never physically. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting dynamic that you watch play out throughout the season. Um, anyway, he starts calling Judy. He comes to Jen's house where Judy's been living, looking for her. And Jen starts talking to Steve. And Judy, you know, on her apology tour, has confessed to Jen that she killed her husband. But she's basically said that she did it by herself, that nobody else was involved, nobody else was in the car. And Steve comes by, Jen's like, yeah, well, Judy killed my husband, I just found out. And he's like, wow, she told you, well, I'm so sorry, basically, that we did this. Mm -hmm. And she's like, wait, you were in the car? He was like, yeah, I wasn't driving, but... And she's like, oh, you were in the car. And then she realizes all these things that she knows about Judy. Judy would have never left a man to die on the side of the road. Right. But because the, she maybe could have saved him. Absolutely. And also, Judy always does the right thing, except when other people are involved peer pressuring her to do bad things. Anywho, um, she pulls out a gun on Steve. She tells him to leave her property. He doesn't leave. She's just learned about stand your ground laws from her annoying neighbor. 
Uh-huh. And she really should have shot him then and there. But she didn't. She okay. didn't shoot him. Um, she decided not to, and then he started saying terrible things that Ted wanted to be hit, that he basically jumped in front of the car, that she made his life hell, that he would have rather been dead to be with her, and that if he was with her, he'd be miserable too. He calls her all sorts of names in the book, and she bludgeons him to death with a child's toy. Which toy? (laughs) Um, A wooden bird that Judy made for her son. Oh, boy. For a while, thought that this bird that was coming into his window every day was the spirit of his dad, because he's also coping with grief. And so Judy made him a little wooden bird that he could keep inside. And she put a cashier's check for, what, $500,000 in it. How does she have $500,000 from this? She cleared out all of Steve's accounts. Oh, okay. So the joint account that they had, she emptied it, and all his other accounts are frozen. Mm Mm-hmm. Anywho, so she bludgeons him to death, and then she calls Judy, (laughs) who was just about to step into the road and kill herself in the exact spot where Ted died. Oh, boy. It didn't go that way, and so Judy helped her hide Steve's body, which is really sad, because Judy really likes Steve, and also Judy has this history with, like, miscarriages, and she really wanted a family, and it's just, Mm. her life's really been turned upside down to somebody who was, like engaged to Steve and living in this giant mansion and planning to have children. And then she just had a lot of miscarriages and then she got in a hit and run car accident and it's just all been upside down. That's season one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, just a little bit of some stuff happened. Quick question. So with the miscarriage part, was that what partly led to her and Steve splitting up? Yes. That's why Steve broke up with her. Okay, so it was his decision, and it was because she couldn't have a kid. That's Mm -hmm. pretty brutal. They didn't consider adopting or anything? No, Steve wanted children. They decorated this nursery over and over again, and Steve was just done with it, and so he broke up with her. Steve sounds like a bright asshole. After he's convinced her to leave a man to die on the side. I know. He's (laughs) he's a bad influence. And also set up a um, gallery for her artwork, because she does really sad um miscarriage themed artwork and jeez yeah he sets up like a a gallery for her to display her work but it's really just a front for his greek mafia money laundering so steve's awful okay season two i'll be (laughs) honest season two is very different i mean i don't know where they could have gone better different or not as good it's just it's just a different. Okay, so let's talk about the ridiculous, dramatic things that happen so you can get those out of the way. Hold on. This is more <laughs> ridiculousness than the, the oh, first yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a drama. <laughs> a drama. Would you say it's a melodrama? I think that most dramas are melodramas okay. these days, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm not sure what the difference is anymore, but... Um, I would say that this season has some soap opera-esque elements, though we were already dealing with the Greek mafia, so... Are we surprised? But okay. Um, Steve Wood seems to show up at their door perfectly alive, but he's not Steve Wood. He's Steve's twin brother, Ben. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) Ben is semi-identical. Okay. Well, is it the same actor? Of course it is. Okay. Well, then it's not. If you're wondering. Okay. Keep going. So if you want to see Teddy die and then come back again, here's your chance. You're really missing that vibe. Anyhow, um, Ben Wood shows up 
looking for his brother who's missing and hasn't answered his phone calls and apparently calls his mother every single day, which might be the only good thing about Steve Wood. <sighs> he is wonderful. He's a wonderful person. Um, he's sweet and kind and practically Judy-esque in his awkwardness. So nothing like his brother. Nothing at all like Steve Wood. And part of it, I mean, they, they give you an explanation for that. It's that Ben struggled with heart problems throughout his childhood. He had a lot of surgeries and he was the sick kid and mm. was the confident well kid. And they turn out very different. Ben is awkward. He makes terrible, terrible jokes. And What's an example of one of the jokes? Are they like pun jokes? Oh, it's it's more like cringe humor. It's, okay. Like, you see what he was trying to say, but he sort of missed it by a word, and now it's weird. <laughs> okay. But he's he's adorable, in He other is words. adorable. He is adorable okay. and lovable, and for a second, you even ship him with old Judy Hale. But oh boy. <laughs> that's not has what she, happens. Had she never met him before? Is this the she first has time? Met him. No, she okay. has she just, uh, you know, she didn't kill Steve, so she wasn't thinking about all the loose ends that would come knocking on her door. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, in addition, Jen and Judy bury the body in the woods after a, I don't know if you'd even call her precocious neighbor's child. She's weird. It's a weird little kid who's friends with her son, her youngest son. She's got two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she, like, starts Googling how to hide a dead body, <laughs> and the little girl is like, are you Googling how to hide a dead body? And then she basically tells her because she already knows. And she's like, the dark web is, a, is an interesting place. It's full of information. Mm -hmm. um, and she, the reason that she's on there is because her father lives off the grid. So I assume that he communicates with her with the dark web. Right. <laughs> anyway, weird neighbor's kid. She takes the girl's advice and buries the body with Judy, who is really, really quite sad and has basically entered into a replacement abusive relationship with Jen, who behaves almost exactly like Steve for mm. most of this, even to the point where, like, they're, they have, like, a back and forth that she had with Steve, where Steve would do something to upset her, and she'd go, stop that, and he'd go, sorry, and she'd go, it's okay. And it's just it's a really, really quick, very stage comedy sort of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, she and Jen have adopted the same situation. Okay. In the meantime, one good thing happens for Judy. Judy starts dating a woman who, um, whose mother is in the nursing home where she works. Judy is an art teacher in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. She's Snow White. She's wonderful. And the elderly character who's in the first season, who she's clearly really good friends with, dies and leaves her his car. Jeez. Okay. There's a lot of death. There is a lot of death and a lot of cars. I guess that's why they call it that. A lot of death and a lot of cars. That's <laughs> put that on the poster. Dead to me. Honestly, There's a lot of death and a lot of cars. Honestly, I feel like the cars are for some reason a central theme because um, Jen obviously hides Steve's car. He drives a very flashy Mercedes, I believe. Um, her son, her oldest son, who's been basically his entire character arc, is the I mean, okay, I should I should reduce him like that. He's an interesting character. But Wait, for, why, why shouldn't you reduce him? Because he's not just that. He's also lost his dad. He's going through all these different things as a teenager. Mostly he's being a brat, but also his mom has really bad anger issues, and he's trying to be understanding. However, 
season two, he just wants a car. <laughs> he doesn't oh, care about anything else. He doesn't know about all this murder. He wants mom to get him a car. She's not. He finds the keys to the storage unit. He finds Steve Wood's car. He doesn't know it's Steve Wood's car. And he takes it for a spin with his girlfriend. This okay, so he goes joyriding. Is he this meant to be funny, or is it, like, tense that, oh, he might find out with the truth? Uh, I think this show's definitely dark comedy. Um, okay. But so much that he might find out, the, find out the truth as much as it is that he, one, doesn't have a license and is on CCTVs all over the city with driving dead in the car. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Who's missing, officially. He's not dead. Nobody knows he's dead. Steve Wood is missing. <sighs> okay. Okay, I'm going to try to just summarize the rest of this. Judy starts dating a nice woman whose mom is at the nursing home. That nice woman lives with her ex-girlfriend, who happens to be the cop that is investigating them. Oh, no. Um, this sounds kind of like Barry. Do you yeah, remember Barry? Okay. It's also, I mean, dark comedies. They're both. I think they're both really well written, and they're both really, really funny. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think that... Dead to Me deals more with the emotional trauma of killing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more. They there is a lot of truly addressing sadness and panic attacks and flashbacks to violent crimes that you don't mm-hmm. get in a lot of murder dramas in general. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, at the end of the day, Judy wants to turn herself in for all of the crime after being with her mom and her mom being manipulative and judy may be starting to discover that people are manipulating her all the time but she still just really loves this family and when she goes into the police department to give them an anonymous tip because because jen's oldest son found a bunch of stuff steve's stuff in the car and one of those things indicated that the chief of police was involved with the greek mafia which is great because that guy's an asshole and everybody's been trying to get rid of him. So Judy brings it in. And while they're in there, they're like, oh, hey, um, I don't know what the order of events is exactly. I can't perfectly remember. But they basically tell them that right now, the only suspect that they have for Steve Wood's murder or disappearance is Jen's oldest son because he was joyriding in the man's car. Right. Mm-hmm. So Judy's like, I'm going to turn myself in. And Jen's like, you're not going to do that. And so Jen decides to turn herself in. Okay. They're racing each other to see who can take the fall. (laughs) She leaves all of her stuff and her children and her will to Judy, which is crazy because Judy killed her husband, Ted. Um, (laughs) Okay. And when she goes to the police department, the woman who has been investigating them, who's the ex of Judy's girlfriend. It's just been a whole fiasco. And they go looking for the body because basically they still need evidence to be more than just a confession. She's like, oh, well, we bought, buried his body in the woods and they can't find it exactly. And the chief of police is like, you know what? Steve Wood sucked, basically. <laughs> she doesn't say it just like that, but basically she says Steve Wood sucked and he died and this seems fair enough and you're going to go home. Oh, wait, he just, just gets let go? Yeah, and Jen is like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I just want to try to be a good person. I'm sick of being a cop all the time. And she right. is, she does deal with similar issues to the ones that Jen deals with, in that she's also not very likable. 
And part of it's because of her situation, part of it's because of her job, and they just have a real heart-to-heart, and she tells her to go home. So that's essentially how the season ends, but she can't just have the season end with everything being fine. Because we need to set up for a third season. Exactly. So here's the setup. Um, The oldest son, Henry, like not Henry, Charlie. The oldest son, Charlie, and everybody's become really good friends with Judy. Basically, Charlie knows that Judy smokes pot. Mm -hmm. He goes into Judy's room to find the, the weed, and at the bottom of the box is a letter that Jen wrote to Judy when she was planning to turn herself in. Basically said, you're my friend, I love you, I'm leaving you my kids, please love them. But it also says, you killed my husband, Ted. Oh my god. (laughs) The kids do not know. Right. So now it's going to be continuing to kind of keep this secret, not because of legal repercussions, but because their family would be mad at them. Second setup, um, a runner in that park where they buried that dead body has mm-hmm. a dog. And the dog mm-hmm. is digging at a spot where Judy carved a heart in a tree so that they would know that's where Steve was. Okay. Well, they're probably going to find the body at the beginning right. of season three. And we're also going to have to deal with the repercussions of Charlie, Jen's oldest son, knowing now that Judy killed his dad. He is more likely to be angry than the younger one, Henry. Mm-hmm. And that is how it's going. I really enjoyed the emotion and the empathy in this season. Oh, sorry. Uh, sidebar. Ben and Jen are involved. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> They're really good for each other. Okay. <laughs> it's very, very sad. Because Jen basically can't deal with it because she's having terrible flashbacks about murdering his twin brother. <laughs> well, I mean, murdering someone will will do that to you, yeah, especially violently. when you date their twin twin brother. It's gonna gonna be a little weird for a while. And she's also constantly having to deal with the surveillance level of their very affluent neighborhood because mm-hmm. her neighbor has a cctv that can see the whole street she'd originally gotten into a lot of um security when she was really mad at judy the first season and she burned all of judy's stuff after she found out that she killed ted <laughs> and she set up a bunch of security which is which was confusing at the beginning of season two because you think that her killing steve is justified you're like, okay, right. you watched it. He asked her, she asked him to leave the property. He didn't do it. You don't know exactly how he died. You don't know that she didn't shoot him. Mm-hmm. So the entire time I'm thinking, hey, why doesn't she just go to the police? This is more than enough to get self-defense. You're not going to jail for this. Right. But then it slowly unfolds throughout the first few episodes that she actually just bludgeoned this man to death in cold blood. Right. <laughs> She was she was falsely remembering what she had done. Exactly. Oh, meanwhile, Judy is just trying to deal with being a good person in the midst of this because she's just holding all of these secrets. And Judy just wants to tell the truth and for it to all be easy. And she's people are always manipulating her to do bad things. And there's a lot of empathy this season with characters dealing with the, being the perpetrators of the crimes or offenses that they were previously the victim of. So Jen was really, really angry when she found out that Judy accidentally killed her husband. And then she very violently kills Steve. 
and <laughs> immediately tells Judy, but she doesn't tell Judy that it's not self-defense. She tells Judy that Steve attacked her and was trying to choke her and she killed him. And then eventually she has to come clean because she discovers the same thing that Judy discovered, which is that holding that secret was just too much. But it's not very nice. So when she starts telling the truth, a lot of other things come out of her mouth, like that Judy just lets anybody who gives her any attention abuse her kindness. Right. She lets people walk all over her. Yeah. And that there's just a lot of tension there with what Judy should do and also how much she just cares about other people's feelings and their inputs on her life as it intersects with other people. So, so would you would you recommend the show? And do you think the second season was still good? Or do you think the first season was a little bit better? Okay, I think the first season was better. But I think the first season was better because of the novelty of the plot. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes you start out with a plot that's so interesting that when you first introduce it, of course, it's going to be good. But after that, you have to build on it. You can't just... You can't drag that plot into two or three seasons. So, so it I'm, almost sounds like they built it, but didn't really know where they were going with it. Uh, oh, the Netflix shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's sort of their theme. But I'm comfortable with where they're going. I think that if they're given a few seasons, they, it, there could definitely be a groove of a good TV show here. Similarly it's, to Barry, I haven't yeah. seen the second yeah. season of. Is oh, Barry's great. Season? Barry's good. Yeah, is there a second season? There is a second season. I don't um, think I've seen it yet. Um, is is it Linda Cardellini that's mm-hmm. Judy? Yeah, uh, she's really good. I'd seen her in the movie Capote, or not Capote, <laughs> Capone, uh, recently, and she was good in that. And I I would be curious to see her in like where she's the leading role. She was also great in Scooby Doo. Oh yeah. <laughs> God, I refuse to watch the the new Scoob movie. I can't. I oh, can't I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch the heck out of it. <laughs> we could maybe do a Scooby Doo discussion. It's just they didn't cast any of like the old voice actors. It was it was Zac Efron, and no offense to Zac Efron, but he's not really a voice actor. He's a I, celebrity. I need to know how he does first. I'm not going to read this until I hear it because okay. here's the thing: voice actors, their voice continues to age. Yes, but they still, that's their talent. That's what they've worked at. I agree, but if they're not going to be the best possible casting for this, it's okay to cast somebody else. Mm -hmm. Okay. If it was someone else who had a new interesting take, I feel like Zac Efron is just going to sound like Zac Efron to me. I don't know. He's. I do like his voice, and I think he's. he's got a chance here. <laughs> okay, okay. I would like to see it first. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and then I can decide if maybe he just sounded like he was reading his regular lines. But that's, I mean, that's part of voice acting. I think it would be interesting. Okay, fair. So you would, you would recommend uh, Dead to Me? I would. And- Okay, I'll I'll maybe check it out. Especially uh, to people who like dark comedies, because um, I think this show is more dark than comedy. Mm-hmm. But I think that they fit the comedy in so aggressively mm-hmm. because they don't have a lot of time to be funny. Right. And it just it works really well. It's really there's just like a rhythm to it and a beat to the comedy that is brilliant. Gotcha. Did you ever see, this is kind of related, kind of not, did you ever see the show The Last Man on Earth with Will Forte? I did not. Okay. The way you're describing the comedy kind of kind of reminds me of that. 
the the Will Forte show is a little more silly, but it sounds like oftentimes it's very aggressive in your face over the top and that kind of chaotic energy. I don't know. I, I like that in things where it's just like always building and always silly, but um interested in it but uh while we're on the topic of feeling like the last man on earth yeah you did it i was gonna do it but you beat me to it i did Um, let's talk about some isolation films so which which ones did you watch so i i watched a few i watched moon oh i watched moon too yeah do you want to talk about moon moon's really good well you can finish your intro okay i i I was just gonna say moon and then the thing which was good as always um 127 hours, which I didn't see, but I had really liked it when it came out. The Lighthouse is good. <laughs> and there's then there's The Martian with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's the movie Old Boy, uh the South Korean one, not the not the American remake that's really good. What what did you watch? Um I watched Moon. I watched The Room again. Oh, you mean <laughs> you mean Room? Yeah, I do mean room. Sorry, you're right. The room is very different. <laughs> no, it's funny. That's I'm a just, whole different film. <laughs> I know. It's such a great, genuine confusion, and that is just really funny to me. Um, yeah, I watched Room, I watched Moon. I've seen 127 Hours, and I've also seen The Martian. Yeah. What What did you think of Moon, since that was the first one we kind of both, both had seen? Was this your first time seeing it? It was my first time seeing Moon. Ooh. Did you know anything about it going in, or did you go in cold? I knew it was an isolation film. <laughs> okay, so I we should probably say we're going to reveal or maybe spoil some of the details of the movie about I why think, it's an isolation. I hope our listeners know that we're going to spoil all the movies. <laughs> I intend to spoil all the films and all the TV shows, so. <laughs> That's what we should just call the podcast, the spoiler cast at this point. Honestly, I don't hate that title. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, Moon is great. Sam Rockwell is like, it's maybe my favorite role I've seen him in. And I think he's been a little bit underutilized in a lot of stuff. But he's really good in Moon. Um, it's weird I because that his the, name is the same. That it's Sam Bell. Yeah, I don't like that. Anyway. I mean, it, it works. <laughs> what would you have named him? I don't know. Just not the actor's name. Something else. <laughs> That's fair. Um but for those who don't know, the plot of Moon is he is a miner on the moon and he is effectively just mining this precious gas. For... Yeah, a miner who mines, not a miner who is a child. Okay, carry yes. on. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. He is an adult man and he's basically just stuck up there and he thinks that he's going to be nearing the end of his three-year contract, but essentially he is a clone and he gets killed off at the end of it and they start him again and it's really jumped into the cloning way faster than i anticipated because because that's what's interesting about it is that he has become a basically like an indentured servant who doesn't know he's that he's he's working and doing this because it's the knowledge that he eventually will get to leave But it's too expensive to have it be that they're sending him back home and sending someone else to take his shift effectively. Mm-hmm. So instead, they've deceived this man and made him live this life under the false promise with like a fake family, even though it's a real family, like there is a real version of him. But yeah, it's it's so good, though. Not just uh, that, there's a clear cycle of how long the clones live. 
Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm I left the film a little bit confused about felt- about whether or not the clones can live longer than three years. I think I think it is the promise that he has a death sentence that also makes it so painful. Well, for, he... for that character, he's also suffered. You know, he was in the crash and he had a lot of a lot of wounds and yeah, yeah, a lot of injuries to begin with. But before he even went out there, he was hallucinating, and you know his health already seemed to be declining. Mm-hmm. And so we know is at the end of the film, his second clone, the one who actually goes out to rescue him and essentially discovers that they are the clones, goes back home. Right. And I guess I'm wondering, is in three, in three years, is he also going to fall ill and die? And so, I guess just left with that question. The, the funny thing is, there's technically a sequel to this movie, and it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and it's unfortunate, and I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but he is in it. You see him back home in, like, the background on, like, a newscast, mm-hmm. and he's, he's, I think, being imprisoned um, because... That's kind of the dark reality of it is even as he gets to go back home and save himself, this company is probably shady enough to cover it up because of the horrifying implications of it. Or people don't care. Both both are dark realizations, but he gets imprisoned, so they probably don't save him. He's probably just going to die in prison, which makes it even more depressing. <laughs> just, I guess it makes sense. I also, older Sam doesn't tell new Sam cloned that he might die in three years. I didn't like that. Anyhow. Yeah. Well, because what, what do you say to him? If, if it's, if it's an inevitability, will he live his life better, different? It's sort of that, that age old question of, would you want to know exactly when you're going to die? And I, I think the answer is often no. He's, he's obviously wanting the promise of going back home to potentially live a full life. And to undercut that and say, actually, you're just going to die in three years would be really sad. I guess the illusion might allow you to live a better life than the knowledge of what will actually happen. Yeah, exactly. This question, how do you feel about Gertie? What do you mean? Okay, Gertie is an AI voiced by an actor that I like too much. Um... <laughs> yeah. I think I think it it needed something. He needed someone to riff off of. It was a it was a narrative excuse to have him sort of make jokes and talk to someone before he discovers his clone. Yeah, but how do you feel about the fact that Gertie is um is Gertie's not just an AI. They're designed to let this clone die. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I feel like Gertie has a very different situation than most AIs do in their respective films. Because, because he's tasked with effectively this mechanized slaughter for thousands of years, potentially. And not just that, also deceit. Gertie yeah. can lie. Gertie can make decisions. Gertie can change their mind. Decisions within the set parameters. Like, Gertie yeah. is not capable of like going against the programming and showing kindness or put beyond the needed kindness to sort of deceive him enough. Like, if you were to ask Gertie about how could I break out of this place, Gertie's programming would probably prevent that from ever happening. Gertie would completely just not answer the question. However, when um, Sam creates that fake problem to get get Gertie to let him outside, Gertie Mm -hmm. says no. 
And mm-hmm. then he tries to convince, and he tries to convince, and then Gertie says yes. It could have been that he was persuasive enough. I don't know. I, so I'd that's have what to... I mean, the fact that Gertie is, is susceptible to being persuaded, I just think creates like an interesting AI situation that you don't see in a lot of films that aren't about AI specifically. Like, it as could a have almost character. been that he was having to trick his own programming by pretending to buy into it or like I guess people do that too we sometimes lie to ourselves and are able to trick ourselves into doing certain things yeah but yeah justifying this by saying oh well that's this must be I'm gonna ignore my intuition which means that Gertie has intuition there's just a lot going on there with this AI right yeah I don't know AI is AI is really interesting that's why I really like I guess this is also an isolation movie, but we don't have to talk about it a lot. Uh, Ex Machina, the way it tackles AI is like unparalleled because like you watch it and it rewards the the multiple rewatches where it's the idea that Ava is tricking everyone and it's tricking her own programming in some ways mm-hmm. now that she's become self-aware. It's really good. And this this has glimpses of that. And that's why I, I think it's like really still underrated and kind of underseen people will know about it but it it never really took off and it never really gained as much of an audience as i think it should have i guess it got a sequel but it's a sequel based in the world and not really continuing on much of the characters except for the brief glimpse you see of him and it probably shouldn't exist but (laughs) in all earnest i don't think i really enjoyed moon Okay. Is it meant to be a movie that you're meant to enjoy? I don't. Are movies meant to be enjoyed? <laughs> That's a deeper question. Because <laughs> I think if they at all are, this movie is kind of bad. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think it's, I'll defend it as being a good movie because of the simple stripped down premise. Like the the acting is phenomenal. The entire simple world where it's just this one room and i enjoy movies where it's very dour and kind of horrifying and the implications are very depressing because you can watch it and like it's interesting to grapple with those ideas without it directly happening to you if that makes sense yeah like, i people who are like, really enjoyed it i just would prefer a remake that was good <laughs> whoa what do you mean what would what would the remake look like i just don't think that you know what? I don't think that the dialogue is very good. Okay. So punch th- up some of the dialogue. Yeah, I think that that thematically it was really interesting, but I don't think that the conversations that the clones have with one another or the conversations that the clones have with Gertie or even themselves are revealing enough for a film that has mm-hmm. such a limited cast. Mm-hmm. I feel like I gotcha. there's so much more that could have been said and so much more that could have even just undertones of their conversation as opposed to be incredibly pedestrian, which is great. Like, that's realistic and all, but I don't think it made it for really good film. There's a difference between compelling. movie talk and real yeah. life talk. You have to write it and make it sound like it's something an everyday person would say, but also have it, like, carry narrative momentum at the same time. Exactly, and that narrative momentum was completely lacking for me. <laughs> okay. I just, like, I, I can talk about the film in a positive way, but I definitely wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Oh, no. Well, I would recommend it to to everybody. But <laughs> what 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 movie did you want to talk about next? Did you want to talk about Room, not The Room? <laughs> um, 
Well, on the theme of movies, I wouldn't recommend to anyone. Let's talk about 127 Hours. Okay. We can talk about that briefly if you only want. Why would you not recommend okay. it? Um, well, no, first I want to hear what you thought of it. I like it because of the direction. Um, Danny Boyle is is probably one of my favorite directors. Um, and I think he brings a lot to it. I think a lot of the visuals are really good. I maybe think James Franco is not the best casting. I had also read um, the real life book that was written. And I like it mm-hmm. because it shows his arrogance. Because in the book, he's like, I'm an idiot. I put myself in this situation. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing this. I was always taking these risks that were way over the top and unnecessary because there was something kind of broken in me that I needed to do this. And that's what that's what I like about it. Obviously, if it's if it's something you get squeamish about, because it's for those that don't know, he's a climber that goes to Blue John Canyon in Utah and gets trapped and then has to remove part of himself to get out as a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But and I, I like he that. Amputates as a, his arm. Yeah, he I like the character study of it and how he's this very flawed person. And it's really engaging to see him reconcile and come to terms with the bad choices he's made. Why? Why don't you like it? Uh, I think I think the movie is boring. However, (laughs) (laughs) however, we're talking about isolation movies where uh, you're you're stuck in a place. (laughs) I'm not going to blame James Franco for this um, because I actually think it is his best film. It is his best film. It's his best just, performance. I don't know if he would have been the one I would cast, but go ahead. However, I'm going to say we this is film is really similar to another film that we've talked about. It is almost identical in plot. To which one? <laughs> to Gerald's game. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, it is. They get stuck somewhere, they have to survive and they just hallucinate too. <laughs> and they hallucinate memories. But this is also based on a real story. It is. I agree. I understand that it is fictionalized, true story, but a lot of the more interesting and dynamic parts mm-hmm. of it are the hallucinations, the relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Christy and Megan. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that if there had been more conflict mm-hmm. in those memories... Mm-hmm. that it would have been more interesting it might honestly be that i'm bringing a lot of the knowledge i had of the real life person and some of the conflict inherent within the book within himself that i'm giving it more credit than it deserves if i had seen it without reading the book it might have been a little lacking in that so i can see what you're saying i definitely didn't read the book i it, i enjoyed the movie i wouldn't watch it again as i said i wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anybody I think whoever wrote uh, the, whoever wrote, well, not who wrote Gerald's Game because Stephen King wrote it, but whoever wrote the film adaptation definitely mm-hmm. saw this film. Okay, so that's I totally fair. think it, it for sure influenced that because they really are almost identical down to the gory decision to remove a body part. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, of books that then got adapted, did you read the book for Room? I did not. I did read the book for The Martian, though. Okay. I read the book for The Martian, too. And I I didn't like the movie as much. I didn't either, but it was a truly incredible book. Oh, yeah, the book <laughs> I don't was... really love the movie. It's just the book was big shoes to fill. Yeah, I know. 
and it, it really was committed to being like day by day mm-hmm. the movie they really had to like create a storyline more outside of him and that's why it's kind of it's almost like blinking and uh, a cop out on being a true isolation movie but it's still good that's true but i don't think they could have done it the way the book was done i just don't think it was possible no. with the amount of it, time it, in a film yeah and it would have been not really cinematic in the way yeah, you're talking it would have been about very where boring. It, it would have been boring but again i think i think i like sometimes where it's like very stripped down mm-hmm. movies like that if if you get connected to the story then i don't think it ever will be boring um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think the book was boring. I think I read it in a day. So mm-hmm. even yeah. the mundane aspects of it were very interesting in the book. And I would have liked to see how if they decided to try to translate that to film, how it would have gone, if it could have been it, and equally compelling if you just stuck to the most dynamic situations that he was in. Yeah. But it also might have come out a little melodramatic. So. You're right. <laughs> Anyhow, I really enjoyed The Martian as well. Yeah, and I like Matt good... Damon films. Yeah, and that's that's also him really committing to it as well. I thought he was actually doing pretty good in that. It was funny that they labeled it so much as a comedy, and it got nominated for like best <laughs> comedy at the Golden Globes that year because it's there are jokes, but he's like almost dying and like becomes very emaciated. Like it's, it's pretty dark. dark comedy. I mean, the book's really funny as well. The I book, think yeah, that's has, why I like has... the book. The book's hilarious. <laughs> Um, not hilarious at all is Room, which we don't have to talk about a lot, but that's a movie where the it's very different than the book because it's still set from the, the child's eyes for a lot of it, but the book is literally from the child's perspective. That's terrifying, and I don't think I I'm interested in that kind of sadness. Uh, <laughs> you haven't seen Room, the trigger warning all over the place. Um, it's a very, very dark film about a woman um, who is kidnapped, placed mm-hmm. in a shed that she can't escape, and while she's in there, impregnated and has a child who she really loves, mm-hmm. um, and how they escape, essentially. Um, I think, for me, the reason I wanted to talk about Room was because of the way that she struggles to deal with being outside of the room, mm-hmm. especially in these days of quarantine, you can find the relatable bit. When she gets out, her her son adjusts rather quickly to mm-hmm. being free of the shed. Mm-hmm. But she's been in there for so long that she's sort of angry at everything. She's frustrated with being in an unfamiliar space even though obviously she doesn't want to go back to captivity but it's something she doesn't understand it feels different now yeah it's incredibly foreign and Mm -hmm. she's irritable she's angry she feels like her son is is somehow not grateful enough for the life that he's been given back but it really has nothing to do with him and more to do with herself and having to adjust to the world that changed outside. Like her parents got divorced while she was away. Her mother has a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's also just stemming from the trauma of it too. Like she's angry and frustrated and not sure how to deal with a lot of the emotions. So even as sometimes she's lashing out, it's, it's something you can't really ever blame her for just because of how harrowing of experience she had. Because she gets mad at her parents a little bit. 
and lashes out at them frequently, even though they're trying their best and also are in a situation that they can't even imagine having to deal with. Yeah. No, no one thinks that they're going to have to work through something like this. Not to mention, she doesn't know who to be upset at, and the one person whose fault it truly is, is not present. Right. And that's what's interesting is it like kind of doesn't really become much about him. Once they escape, it's very much their own story. And their escape scene, I thought, was handled really well. I wasn't sure how they would adapt it, but I thought it was like really good. Okay, I haven't read the book, but I do think that the the directing was incredible throughout Mm -hmm. the entire film. And I, I liked how they... I mean, is it the same in the book, how he plans to get out the stop signs and all of that? Yeah, it's it's very similar. It's just the, the scene is elevated by the choice of music, and it, mm-hmm. it really makes it a very pure cinematic thing that elevates the material. Because if you just have it be that it's like a stage play, then it's it's not yeah. quite as good. But there's something uniquely interesting about the way they made it into a film that's really good. It's a really good movie. It's It's a lot. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> Trigger warnings all over the place. Yeah, because they are in there for a long time, and it's it it feels very claustrophobic, and they make the most of it, but it's 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 a lot. And it's also hard to see them, I don't know, teeter back and forth throughout like regular human emotions while in such a confined space, mm-hmm. like yeah. being frustrated with one another, needing space, not wanting space, and maybe finding joy there. It's just very. It's very hard to watch. But they do a good job. It's Jacob yeah. uh, Tremblay and Brie Larson, and they're both really good. It's, yeah. it's it's almost too much sometimes, where you're just like, all right, just going to be sad now. <laughs> um, were there any other isolation movies you wanted to talk about? Uh, there were the ones I didn't watch. I don't know if you've seen Life of Pi. I haven't seen it. Life of Pi is pretty good. It's just strange the way like the story structure is and i always have kind of that beef where it's someone recounting the story of something to someone else Mm -hmm. it almost feels like it undercuts it a little bit in life of pi it's good because he's potentially lying about some things Mm -hmm. that is revealed towards the end and that's interesting it just doesn't get quite flushed out as much as it could but i i would still recommend it and oh and the classic isolation film castaway yeah Wilson. When I was a kid, I loved this movie. Why did oh. you love it? I really liked the relationship he had with Wilson. <laughs> Which, now that I'm older, feels crazy. But Fair. at the time, I thought that their friendship was so wholesome. Yeah. And just, I don't know. Him having that something and also having to lose it in order to get back. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice of giving away his only friend effectively. Yeah, and how much that friend and even the relationship that he had with this volleyball represents how problematic the situation was. Right. Like how much he really needed to let go of this. Like this is not something that he could have brought back into the world. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Just just how bad his his life has become that he was clinging to this, but it's like obviously he needs to get back and he can he can find another volleyball. It'll be <laughs> it fine. Just, it just oh, it hurts my little heart, but I really love that film and I would recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen Castaway. If you're late, let's do it. <laughs> 
the the last one I'll reference is just the lighthouse, which I don't want to say a lot about because you haven't seen it. You're but right. and I keep saying I will, and I'm going to. It's from the same director as the the witch, the Vavitch, and Vavitch. yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what it is, and it's really good. I think I think the witch is a little bit better because of how it wraps up in the end but I hated the witch okay well then maybe you'll like this um, I hope so I hope I like the lighthouse better than the witch honestly <laughs> it's worth seeing it just for Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson giving some very very loud performances yelling with each other and I don't mean that in a bad way I mean this is like shouting to the rafters their their performances are pretty wild I'm not uh, gonna lie. I really love Robert Pattinson especially when he does more serious roles so I'm excited about been, that he's been doing great stuff like with yeah. good time with the lighthouse it's it's been it's been good I'm I'm not excited about him being Batman but <laughs> just um, because I don't want him to waste excited. his time on it. I, we've seen, like, so many Batman movies. That, well, they're just trying to make a good one. And okay. I I respect their continued attempts to make a good Batman film. But, Quinnell, they're releasing the Snyder Cut in, like, six years or whatever when they spend all the money on it. They're, we're getting it. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> it's so stupid. I can't, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> They're but no. all bad to me. I'm not going to lie to you. We can have a Batman day if you want, but I just I know. don't think that the premise is interesting. There was this great thing I saw on Twitter. It was... Um, uh, Sorry, I had you're... to take that back because Iron Man has almost the same premise and it's... You're right, you're same. right. But, but what was great is there was this tweet. It was like, uh, Batman, if he gets audited by the IRS, loses his superpowers, and I just couldn't handle it. <laughs> And maybe Robert Patterson will do something good with it, but I like him doing stuff more like The Lighthouse and the type of strange, very interesting character study performances, even as the ending is kind of a little bit of a, a letdown and kind of deflates a lot of the tension. I still think it's like a wild ride. I'm excited to see Paul Dano's Riddler. Personally. <laughs> Sure. I really loved Little Miss Sunshine. I heard Swiss Army Man was good. I still intend to watch it. It's he was great. great in Okja. I I liked Ruby Sparks. Yeah. I see him do it. I I could see it being interesting. I just it's this it's we're telling the same stories over and over. There's only so many moments where I'm like, oh, maybe there is something interesting you can do with this. It it just feels that's, like that's their their White Rabbit is a good Batman movie. <laughs> You're going to get so many people who are like, what the Dark Knight? And oh, you remember how the actor who was carrying the entire movie on his shoulders died halfway through the first movie? You're right. You're mm. right. Except that's not the that's not the first movie. No, it's not. Which one is it? Batman Begins came before the Dark Knight. And then, I mean, oh, the Dark Knight is kind of its own thing. But yeah, the Dark Knight is the one that was almost good. <laughs> it's the one they almost had. I agree. They absolutely almost achieved what they're trying to achieve right now. And then you were right. <laughs> and then it literally uh, died. I know. I know. It's and his performance that elevates it. Face film, which um, I like. He's also my second favorite Batman villain to face. My first favorite is Riddler. So how's right. that hot take for you? But <laughs> you're right. You're right. <sighs> Anyhow, uh, I'd like to see it. Yeah. Wrapping wrapping up sort of and giving a brief preview. Have you have you heard of the movie The Lovebirds that's coming out when I people listen? Tell me about it. 
Oh, Joy. Well, it's sort of a romantic comedy, but also kind of an action crime oh, movie. I'm lying to you. I absolutely have. <laughs> I was going to say, it's been the big release that's coming out because it was going to be in theaters, but now it's going to be on Netflix. Um, I won't say a lot about it, but I would recommend it. I think it's pretty good. It's going to feel very reminiscent of the uh, Steve Carell, Tina Fey movie Date Night from like way back and kind of this other movie called Game Night that came out recently. But honestly, the performances, that's what makes it so good. They they make it stand out. And they have they bring a really chaotic comedic energy to it. It's really strange at times. It feels like they're almost being like sarcastic about the story they're in. But I love it. It's really good. I oh. am very excited about it. I'm excited about the comedy. I love a good rom-com. I'm excited about more murder in TV. <laughs> Because that's been a theme. Um, I've also been excited about the racial composition of this couple. <laughs> and they, they've been talking about it, that it really shouldn't be groundbreaking. And they, they just made a movie, but it's oh, not, not something I'm not excited because it's groundbreaking. I'm excited because it's a black girl and a brown man. And I live that <laughs> life. <laughs> and they have I'm a stoked. really good chemistry. They're really good. I was so stoked when I saw the little trailer in theaters. And I was with Nate. And I was like, look, look, look. Then I think you'll like it. I think if you're excited for it, it's it's really good. There there are some moments where like there's there's like a weird scene with a horse that like is very silly and over the top. Um but there it's just like the side characters they have in that almost like can't match the like comedic powerhouses of the leads, but it's still good. I really liked it. That's awesome. I'm I'm stoked for a nice feel good drama comedy. Yeah. And they're the ro- the relationship at the core is pretty compelling because yeah. it's that they had sort of the honeymoon phase, but now it's been a long time where they're together and they start arguing about little things like whether they would actually be able to compete in the amazing race. <laughs> and it starts as like feeling like a silly argument, but then they kind of just build and build and they realize that they have a lot more problems. And then obviously the the movie happens where they literally hit someone with their car and it becomes something different. But well, it's they it's, didn't hit somebody with their car. They do initially. There's someone running and then they make sure he's okay, but then their car gets commandeered and then that's that's where the story kicks in. And I won't say anything more than that because that's all that's shown in the trailer. But it's it's a fun movie. It's a good movie to watch with friends, do a Netflix party or something like that. Um yeah. The only other thing I was gonna sort of say at the end, which was some sad news from uh, the neck of the woods up here, the director and writer Lynn Shelton had passed away suddenly last Friday um, from an unknown blood disease that was really sad. Um, and if you're looking for movies to watch, any of her movies are good. She also directed a lot of TV, directed a bunch of episodes of Little Fires Everywhere. She was oh wow, she was really good. Um, and I had spent the weekend kind of going back through all of her work, and it's. It's a sad one, um, and it's. I know that's a sad note to end it on, but there's there's a lot of joy to be found in her work and remembering her that way. But yeah, um, sharing that, Chase. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks so much for for joining me, Quinnell. It's it's good to have you back. I missed you. As always, I hope you guys all missed me too. If you didn't, don't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note. For for next week, I was thinking, have you seen the, the show Homecoming at all? I have not. 
Okay, it's it's an anthology show from the same person who made Mr. Robot, and it's gonna have Janelle Monae in it for this one. Oh, I think I've seen the trailers for this on her yeah. Instagram. I'm really excited about it, and we we probably will talk about that and and other things as always. Um, Sounds good. I want to unpack the rest of Hollywood, which I watched. Okay. So we can talk about that as well because I have some disagreements. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Have a good weekend, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time.